Welcome to the After Work Drinks Club, a business podcast where I chat with influential movers and shakers, top achievers, and all-round incredible people. We explore how they've got to where they are and how you can too. If you want to level up, go make your order at the bar, pull up a seat at the table, and join in, because you belong here. I'm your host, Vanessa Sanyauke, the founder and CEO of Girls Talk London a global agency that empowers thousands of women to develop the skills and confidence to succeed in their careers and life. So if you're listening on your morning commute with a coffee, working from home with a cup of tea, or joining us for after-work drinks, consider this your time to laugh, learn, and level up. On the podcast today, we have Natalie Campbell, co-CEO of Blue Water. I only have one life to live. And if I cannot live that life on my own terms, without apology, without fear, and that's not to say there aren't lots of things that I'm scared of that freak me out. And yeah, I look for approval like most people. But my difference is, is that when I go home at night and I look at the mirror, I know exactly who I'm staring at. I recognize that person. Hey everyone, welcome back to the After Work Drinks Club. I'm so happy to have you here once again. I'm really happy to share that I'm a brand ambassador for Blue Water for this series, which is extra special because we have the co-CEO of Blue Water on the podcast today. Natalie and I have been friends for nearly 14 years, back in 2007. I met her when she hosted monthly meetups for entrepreneurs and she's been stuck with me ever since. I'm so proud to call her my friend and I know you will fall in love with her after this episode. Natalie is an award-winning social entrepreneur, broadcaster and HarperCollins author. In 2011, she co-founded A Very Good Company, a global social innovation agency with a single mission to create a world where people feel good, do good and live better. She worked with the Royal Foundation as their first director of insight and innovation. She also created and presented Badass Women's Hour on talk radio. And now she is the co-CEO of Blue Water, the UK's most ethical drinks business. What I love about Natalie is her willingness to share what she knows with people and her incredible self-belief in her source. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to follow and subscribe wherever you are listening. And don't forget to leave a five-star review. Do you have a drink, hun? What are you drinking? Of course I have a drink. I oh, always have a drink. <laughs> but it's non-alcoholic today. Oh, man, do you know what? Okay, I'll tell you my story. What? It's non-alcoholic? This is non-alcoholic. I'm trying to, to drink less during the week. So, But it is, it's blue tonic mixed with three spirit nightcap what's a three spirit nightcap what's that they call them social lixers and it's kind of a botanical mixer that goes really well with tonic and it kind of feels like you're drinking but it's like there's one that's kind of like an upper there's this one is sort of a softener before bed um Ah. but yeah it, it just different to having juice I don't like drinking juice this late oh okay I might try that then okay Mm -hmm. well you know the drill or do you remember the drill so we have to toast but I want you to oh I want us to toast to Mm -hmm. the highlight of your year so far so before we toast I have I have a confession right Mm -hmm. so as you can see I'm not in my apartment and I saved my last blue tonic water for the podcast now what did I leave I brought everything to my mum's but the tonic water so I have to apologize but my favorite blue mix is this okay and I would say it's a sin if you drink the blue tonic water with anything else but this right so my favorite is the elderflower and lavender Mm. some ice tonic water and gin Bombay Mm. sapphire gin it's boom so nice. in my spirits, I'm toasting <laughs> that, <laughs> but at my mum's, it's red wine. So <laughs> to toast to your highlight of the year so far, what would that be? The highlight of my year so far would be moving to Hove. No, 
Yeah, when did I do that? That was actually last year. It's a really hard question when it just feels like 2020 and 2021. I know, everything merged. feels merged, yeah. But the last okay. six months. The last six months, the highlight. I think just finding lots of moments of peace. Because mm-hmm. in January, I didn't feel like I was going to find any peace at all. And mm-hmm. actually, I've had so many moments of peace. So fi- to, to finding peace. That's what Cheers. Clink, clink, clink. Cheers. Cheers. What about you? Oh, that's interesting. My highlight of the year so far. Mm-hmm. I've, I've never actually thought about that. I've asked my guests, but I don't know. Do you know what? I think my highlight of the year so far, I'll tell you what it was, is I've been doing a lot of work around, th- you know, sort of like some soul searching. Mm-hmm. And this past two weeks, I really feel like I've realigned with my purpose. And that's been the highlight of the year so far because it's been a bit of a rocky start. Um, Only the past the two year. weeks. Yeah, it's really weird. It's it's like I've just been doing a lot of, you know, like therapy, mm. soul searching. It's been a bit challenging with different parts. But the last two weeks, I've kind of figured out mm-hmm. how to realign back to my purpose. Okay. And that's been the highlight. That's been the highlight of my of my year. Okay. It's, nice. It feels like, I don't know, to, to other people, it might feel like, oh, yeah, I'm always walking in my purpose. But, you know, like... And we kind of, I guess we can touch on this in the podcast, but you know what it's like being a, when you've got like a sort of portfolio career, right? And mm-hmm. you've got a few different things that you're doing, but sometimes it feels like one job yeah. has taken priority over the other. Of course. And I feel like I got that balance wrong mm-hmm. and I was losing a part of myself that was so much of my purpose. Mm-hmm. So now I just feel like I realigned, the stars have realigned, my energy's realigned okay. and that's been the highlight. Yeah, so it's been a revelation. So I saw, we've got I saw to... that sway in the shoulders. Okay, okay. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, it's, it's that, that's been the highlight. That's been the highlight. So, yeah. Um, but it's all about you, all about me. This podcast is all about you. Just wanting to, yeah, have a chat and just get behind or get the listeners to see the woman behind Blue Water, the award-winning entrepreneur, the non-exec director, the board chair, the radio show creator <laughs> and host, <laughs> and on and on and on, and, and on. MBE, MBE as well. I really want our listeners to really just sort of like get to know you. You have such a phenomenal career. You're an amazing person, one of my favourite people, and oh, thanks, I thanks. just want to sort of deep dive into, into your business. Mm-hmm. So... The first question I really wanted to ask, I didn't want to make this interview, you know, kind of tell me about your story and Mm. what got you started into entrepreneurship. I kind of want to look at sort of some core themes about what makes you you, right? And and one of the things, I guess we're talking about purpose just now, but for me, um, ever since I've known you, when I look at your career, you've always had this focus on purpose-led business and rather than profit-led businesses. Um, And why is that? It's a really good question. And I think, not I think, I know I've reflected on this more and more over the the years. And my answer, I think, has become more sophisticated. Uh, But it really comes back to, I'm not motivated by having extreme wealth. For me, it's almost a, so what I am personally more motivated by helping people and I'm sure it has something to do with my upbringing I'm Jamaican my grandparents were foster carers um both my grandmas cleaned hospitals my granddad was a car mechanic but worked for himself um and they were really nurturing people within their community. And my granddad always says to me, he he say he was building his empire back in the day when, when he was a younger man. But he always says to me, even with all of that, I realised I can only live in one room of my house at any one time. So it's like mm-hmm. all of this work that you're doing to try and buy this big house or live this big life, in, in his words, um, when you can only live in one room at any one time. And I just thought about it one day and I'm like, yeah, there's... It just, I have no need for more than I need. 
and everything yeah. else I literally want to give away because when you see someone else living their best life I get so much more from that than I would a bag or a pair of shoes or you know when you think about billionaires buying another yacht it's nice for a second mm-hmm. but making someone else's life better is so much more meaningful yeah yeah I agree but but I mean you do like to be comfortable mm-hmm. um and you know sometimes we had this thing about black women and luxury mm-hmm. I just want to kind of just get some clarity so you're saying that your lifestyle is you still want to be comfortable you still like nice things but it's more so about the excess yeah, I don't. I, I, so I, I believe in wealth. I believe in money. I don't believe in greed or anything that, for me, yeah. feels like an excess. So more power to your elbow if you have a walk-in closet full of bags and shoes and designer labels. You know, I love bags and shoes just as much as as the next person. But I think there there comes a point when do you really need another one? Mm-hmm. And it. Yeah. The sort of price point that we're talking about, what if you became a philanthropist or invested that money in another business or donated that money to a school to support a scholarship for someone? For me, that just gets to a point where I don't need that thing because I'm not getting it. That thing is not giving me anything back. That bag mm-hmm. is not giving me anything back other than a fleeting moment of possibly looking good. Or, or you start to compete, right? Um, I was reading a a book the other day that was talking about desire. And when you put desire on material things, the only thing that really drives the next purchase is a desire to compete with someone else. I don't like competing with anyone else. I live in my own lane. And you can't Mm -hmm. compete when it comes to making people's lives better because it's not about looking at someone else's way of making a life better. It's really about the individual Mm -hmm. or the cause or the environmental thing that you're working on. And the feeling of doing good lives much longer than the euphoria of that bag purchase or the 12th bag purchase. Yeah. And and I think it's always quite fickle as well. Like even I've been watching the billionaires, you know, compete, for example, to go to space, right? Oh so you had life. like Richard Branson went into space and then Jeff uh, uh, Bezos, of course, is like, oh, next month I'm going to space. Yeah. yeah. And then Elon Musk is like, oh, hold on a minute now, you know, so everyone's kind of competing to have, you know, to be like the, the, do the biggest next best thing. Mm -hmm. And I do sometimes figure out, okay, so what next? Like if we're always, if, if these kind of billionaires that some of the richest men in the world are always competing to be like the, the biggest and the best at the next thing, I always, part of me, when I was sort of reading about it today, I was thinking, okay, but then what next? Like what next? So I'm a believer in Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? And at the top of the triangle is, is self-actualization. I, I want to reach that point where I have done everything that my heart and mind and spirit has ever wanted to do. And it's like I'm trying to empathize with the billionaires. I have no, no understanding of why they want to go to space as opposed to fixing the planet that's here, mm-hmm. but that's a separate point. But that thing of self-actualization and pushing yourself as far as you can possibly go. And then once you get to that point, actually, you start again from the bottom of Maslow and you work your way up. And I'm all in favor of doing that. But I do think there becomes a point when actually that need for more is a symptom of insecurity, unhappiness, not feeling fulfilled, not feeling happy and not feeling content with what you've built. And at some point, for me, the happiest people have got to a point where they just go, I have everything I need. And it might not mm-hmm. be that they're living a luxurious lifestyle by a billionaire or even multimillionaire standards, but they look around and they say, I'm comfortable. I don't have to worry about money. No one's mm-hmm. troubling me. I'm not, you know, losing sleep over owing this person money or yeah. the rocket ship hasn't launched tomorrow. You know, the exactly. happiest people we know are just happy saying, I'm sitting here chilling with a drink speaking to someone I love and that's enough yeah you know what it's interesting because I met an old friend and I hadn't seen this old friend for about 10 years but but this friend of mine I say an old friend they're still a friend of mine and they recently become like a millionaire Mm -hmm. and I was like oh my god they bought this amazing house in like Mm -hmm. one of the most expensive neighborhoods and I was like 
listen, you're sorted, your family's good, you're good. And then they were like, oh no, like now, you know, my mentors, they're like billionaires. So now I want to, and, and they wanted to take like more risk because mm. now they want to make like the next 10 million and they want to make like a hundred million. Mm. And so it's interesting for you to say that, like sometimes you have to really be careful, like you're saying about thinking about, okay, well, you know, what will make you content? What is enough for you? Because sometimes you'll, you'll get to a certain life goal and then you'll risk it all. I'm like, <sighs> But you're good now. Why risk it all? Because you want to make a hundred million. Like that's amazing. But my friend was prepared to like his. They are prepared to risk it all now nah, to make that hundred million. They were like, I'm going to do a lot of risks because I want to make more. And so there is a part of me that again I empathise with the how far can in your lifetime how far can you possibly push yourself? But to me, it's not about making the hundred million. It's what is it that you learn? What is it that your mind shapeshifts to? How do mm-hmm. you build a level of resilience that you've never experienced before? How do you um, face fears that you've never been able to overcome to get to the 100 million? And I know it's going to mm-hmm. sound corny, but I think part of growing up is realising that it's not about the end state and getting the thing. It's about all of the things you learn along the journey and that's what I realized in doing these podcasts or having conversations the thing that people really want to know isn't okay so how did you open a Morgan or um you know how did you do badass women's hour it's more it's the processes what's what's the thinking what did you learn how did you feel what were the challenges and I think it's the journey they want another journey right and so the, the, the 100 million is the wrong focus it's yeah, it's seeing how far you can physically push yourself. What I would say, though, is once you go on that journey, and again, it goes back to what my granddad was saying, like you can only live in one room of the house at any one time. I know millionaires, multimillionaires and billionaires, that upkeep to maintain that lifestyle means you can't just one day go, I'm going to relax. You have to find ways to perpetually bring that money yeah. in. Because a house isn't cheap to run. If you have a pool, that's £8,000 a minimum a year, plus the upkeep, plus the... And it's like, do you really want to go to bed at night with all of that circling through your mind? And maybe some people don't have that. But I would rather live in a simpler way and know that I own my house outright, Mm. that I don't have a fee. It doesn't cost me any money to open my eyes in the morning. I don't have things to pay for before I've even woken up that to me is more peaceful and that's the goal for me I just don't want to have too many bills I would just Mm. (laughs) I want one or two direct debits and that's Mm -hmm. it in my older years I can't be doing you know all of this yeah Yeah, and I think that's the that's the goal but I mean okay we we spoke just briefly just now about the journey and Mm -hmm. you have sadly um always been in the UK one of very few black female CEOs, sadly, to, sad to say this, I'm proud of you, but it's sad at the same time. Uh, one of few black female CEOs of seven figure uh, businesses, charities, and um, purpose led businesses. Talk to us about your experience. Like, what has that been like mm. for you? How do you feel about that? So, no, I'm, I, I smile because it, it is sad. Um, there are more of us on a daily basis. But th- I think the thing that annoys me if I'm being honest, is that we segment. And so um, we spend a lot of time talking about black female founders mm-hmm. and we don't recognise black women that are at the top of their fields that may not be founders, but they're scientists, they're lawyers, mm-hmm. you know, they're a partner in a law firm, they're the yeah. CEO of a company they didn't build. And we spend all of our time talking about the founders and the entertainers and the sports stars. And we put all of our emphasis on that. And I think it really skews the visual of what the next generation can become because they don't value the sort of work that maybe just happens in silence, that maybe just happens behind the scenes. But, you know, equally, I know we're there. You know, I know scientists, I know women across the civil service that are, you know, are running massive departments massive mm-hmm. departments making decisions about how we all live signing off billion yeah. pound budgets 
No one knows their name. Why? Because they're not dancing in front of us because they're not doing jazz hands, because they're not working for a sexy publication. So we don't really care about them. And that, for me, makes me more sad. Yeah, I get that because, you know, working in corporate, I agree. There are so many badass mm-hmm. women that are, you know, have literally 2,000 uh, staff under them. Yeah. They are, yeah. you know, very, very senior, but we don't necessarily see them on socials or Instagram, for example, sort of parading their, you know, I guess their authority or their success because they're busy, I guess, doing the work and busy. doing their jobs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're busy <laughs> making things happen. But, you know, still very few. Still very few of, of them at that. When you look at the stats and the data, it's still very few. It's still very yeah. few in comparison in the UK. I do agree with mm-hmm. you. We are How, do you where think we are. it will ever change though? Because yes. Yes. <laughs> even, for I feel that just for over a decade, we have been seeing this and it's, it's, it's improved a little bit, but, you know, I think it's going to take a lot to get to where we need to be in terms of representation. And I'm talking about like that, you know, when we look at, even when we're talking about, say, the FTSE 100, for example, Mm -hmm. there's no like black uh, CEOs on there, that list. There aren't, but you had Vivian Hunt at McKinsey. It's not a FTSE Mm -hmm. company, which is why she wasn't there. But I mean, Vivian Hunt is badass. Yeah, she's a boss. Yeah, she is. Ronnie McKinsey. You know, Mm -hmm. you've got Karen Blackett. Badass, chairwoman of Mediacom, UK country manager for WPP, mashing up the game. Not on that list. There are more women out there that don't always make, I guess, the day-to-day headlines, either because they're slightly older and they're not doing that whole social media hustle. Or like I said, you know, culturally we value entertainers and people that work for brands that we aspire to be a part of. And if, mm-hmm. and if you don't look a certain way or fit a certain mould, then I think the wider black diaspora in the UK doesn't really check for you. Um, I know. And that's a, prob- that's a problem because it means it's harder for people to see a wide spectrum of role models. Do I think it will change? Yes, I do. Because I just think we, as a community, have also realised that we need to start leading things. And maybe we do. You know, my pathway wasn't corporate. I came through the entrepreneur founder route too, joined boards. Now I'm a CEO running a company that I didn't found, but I'm very much the entrepreneur within the company. So there are, you know, there are more pathways um, for us to succeed. I think we just need to respect everyone's hustle a bit more as our own community first. Yeah, I and I, I totally get that because there's just so many, as you said, so many women, I guess, who don't get rated, I guess, in our, I guess, popular, black popular culture in the mm-hmm. UK. Mm-hmm. And I think we do need to give people their flowers and their props a bit more. But I guess mm-hmm. it's just thinking about, I guess, the best way to do that, because it's not always those, I guess, that glitter. It's not always, you know, those that are kind of, I guess, in, in the in the forefront in terms of, I guess, social media, for example, is it? Well, we know so the social media hustle is... Uh, for want of a better word, fake. And yeah. I would Im- I would say, you know, let's, you know, if you put the realness on it, let's look at who's got money in their bank account, right? Yeah. Is it the people parading up and down on social media talking about all of the stuff that they're doing? Or is it the people that aren't on social media actually getting on with running some shit? And, I, you know, I'm not putting myself in in either camp. I'm just saying I know women doing jobs that are very well paid. They're not CEOs. They're not doing the hustle or the dance. They're grown-ass women mm-hmm. with families. But they are architects of society nonetheless. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I found, though, as well, that there are so many Black women who you'll be shocked at what they earn. Uh, they are, they've got some multi-million pound property portfolios, but you know, they're employees and mm-hmm. maybe they're not even at that kind of um, MD level. They've, they've yeah. just got into a really great tech company or a really good bank and they're mm-hmm. just, they've mm-hmm. been able to leverage that. So I definitely think you're right there. But I mean, thinking about you, what I've known about you, you've always been like super chilled, 
super calm and super confident. And I feel like you always own your magic, like whether that's at dinner or whether you're on a plane or whether, <laughs> whether in the boardroom, like you always own your magic. And how do you do that? I am unapologetically me. And where's that come from as well? It, it, it's from, it's from, you know, getting knocked down and getting back up again. It's from realising that I only have one life to live. And if I cannot live that life on my own terms, without apology, without fear, and that's not to say there aren't lots of things that I'm scared of, but that freak me out. And, you know, I, I, yeah, I look for approval like most people. But my difference is, is that when I go home at night and I look at the mirror, I know exactly who I'm staring at. I recognise that person. And so if I want to get on a plane pre-COVID and wipe down my plane seat, I will do that, <laughs> Naomi Campbell style, because people know, didn't Naomi understand while I, while I was rolling with yes. that. Yes. But it's because the place is Germany. You've always been that way. You've always been like, oh, I'm not touching nothing. Oh, I'm not eating no plain food. Oh, yeah, you're like, not munching it, munching I it down. I would curse you. I'm like, there's bare food up in here eating. Yeah. Like, so now I see. But I think it's about you know, okay. So saying like you know who you are, but yeah. you don't just wake up one day and know who you are. There's a journey to that. So what was that journey like? You know, it, it's the, the hustle that any young girl growing up in London needs to do. You need to have your street smarts about you. You need to earn your, your stripes and, and, be, and walk with confidence. Otherwise, you get the piss taken out of you. I was very fortunate to have lots of amazing female family role models in my life, my badass aunties, as I, as I call them, here and in the US, and really strong male role models in my life who basically just always said, whatever you think, whatever you feel, whatever you want to do, you can do it. I was never told no as a kid, really. I was always made to feel like anything was possible. And my dad used to drive me around central London and he used to say, you know, look up anything you see can be yours. You just have to work for it. Yeah. And so that feeling of it's possible, I can do it. I had from a really young age and they supported me with all of my business decisions and the whole journey. They never said that's a bad idea or, you know, you need to get an education in this and you can't do this. They were like, cool. If you want to go to Lancaster and open a retail store in the last year of university, fine. My dad came up into the shop fit for me. They were just like, whatever you, whatever you want to do, do. My dad's only told me no once, and that was when I got into the Brit School for Performing Arts. And he didn't want me to go because he thought that the media was a dead-end career. Um, oh, Because you know, back in the day, <laughs> it was basically either you sing or you dance. And he was like, you ain't a talented singer and you ain't a talented dancer. So I think you need to. So what are you going to do then? <laughs> so I went back to sixth form and got A level and went and did A levels. I absolutely failed my A levels because I also yeah. discovered boys. Same here. <laughs> so Same you know, here. I went from they being super smart. Look, I aced my GCSEs. Mm-hmm. I was an A star, A B girl, and then I absolutely messed yeah. up on A levels because of boys. But my dad was right in 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 a sense that I wasn't I wasn't going to become a singer. I wasn't going to become a dancer. So there was absolutely no reason for me to go to the Brit school. And so you know, yeah. So it comes from that. It comes from I don't know, sort of the entrepreneur spirit. I I feel so blessed to have stumbled across this thing called entrepreneurship because there is a mindset of running through fire if you know that what you want is on the other side. And you will figure out the burns, you will figure out how to get through fire without being burnt if you know that the thing you want is on the other side. And that feeling within me gives me confidence to sit around any table or any environment because I know that I've got the goods. I'm smart. I also say that I'm basic. So I've said on podcasts before, like, I'm so basic. And I say that because there is nothing brilliant about me. Like I don't. I disagree. No, you know, in this, you know, like I'm not the smartest. I'm not an intellectual. I'm not 
a poet. I'm not sort of an exceptional person in that way. I'm not great at science. I can't code. I can't, I can't make things. I can't draw. I just figured out some things about life really early. And I have an entrepreneurial spirit that means I will work harder than most people. Mm-hmm. And I will work smarter than most people. But I am not the most yeah. talented. And that's what I mean by I am basic. I'm not the most talented person at all. But I know how to work. That's what I know how to do. Yeah. I always say you're very strategic. Like yeah. I know if I have like a, 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 a problem or a challenge, I know you're someone that's like, okay, so let's figure out how we're going to make this work. I think you're really good at that. Okay. I, I guess if I had to say that I had a superpower, it would be that. I can see, I used to say in Kanye style, you know, Kanye used to say that he sees colours when he thinks about music. If when people say they've got a problem, my mind starts drawing sort of all of the component parts of the problem and starts working Mm -hmm. out the solution in a very visual way. And I see, Mm -hmm. I, I, I can see solutions and things come together in a way that other people can't. And the challenge, I guess, of growth is me realising how to articulate what it is that I see. Because everyone's been like, how did you get from A to J and then to Y? And I have to start communicating my working out. Because to me, it was just like, well, of course, that's the answer. But you've had it mapped in your your mind. Exactly. Yeah. One of the things I think is important for, I think, people to understand, a lot of people want to... Okay, maybe I'm assuming there are some people out there and I'm sure a lot of my listeners are very aspirational and Mm. one day would like a seat at the table where, you know, big decisions are made. And you've had that privilege of sitting on a number of boards as chair, um, as a non-executive director. And what would be your advice to people who maybe they're sitting on their first board mm-hmm. of how they can make an impact? Like what is the kind of core essentials that they need to do from day one? Always read the paperwork, mm-hmm. speak, and know that there is no such thing as a silly question because there have been multiple times in board meetings when I've been sitting around the table with people that I assume know exactly what's going on and I ask the most basic question in my mind and then you realize everyone's like I wanted to ask that too but I was too scared Mm -hmm. and it's like you know these are grown grown men end of Mm -hmm. career men who who didn't know what what the term was or the acronym was or didn't understand the methodology or the formula but they all pretended because everyone's trying to save face I don't try and save face I need to understand this information because Mm -hmm. when you're around a boardroom table not understanding a key piece of information means you agree to something that could sink mm. the company. Yeah, so you need to tell me every single bit of this so that I can make an informed decision. And that was the approach I, that I took. And I didn't apologise. I didn't faint, sort of say, this, you know, this is a silly question. I have a question. I, I do not understand this thing that you've just said. So can you break it down for me, please? And then can you relate it back to the actual decision you want me to make? Simple. Right. Yeah. So just those two simple things. Yeah. And Lots of people don't, don't read the papers. So you'll, you'll notice yeah. that when you go into board meetings, you know, the, the always the pompous people with puffing out their chest, they have not read the board papers. <laughs> you're like, so you'll you have, read page 75. Yeah, yeah. So you'll have one yeah. up on them just by reading the board papers and yeah. speak, just speak. It's that thing, isn't it? Of being prepared. I think people yeah. actually underestimate that whatever yeah. you do in life, if you are prepared, that gives you the confidence So, yeah, that's really, really key. Okay, so you've had a very sort of interesting career journey. So obviously been very entrepreneurial. You were the creator of Badass Women's Hour and a radio uh, host and presenter. And then from then, from there, you ended up working at Kensington World Foundation Mm -hmm. and Sussex Foundation. How do you get there? (laughs) because some people might think how does a black woman at that or anyone any you know person get there what kind of you know what do you think sort of made you really stand out and get you into those kind of places yeah so again a really good question and something that I realized really early on society is built on a number of key structures right so you've got or, or systems you have an education system 
you have a financial system, you have a media system, you have, we have institutions, royal, political, other, you know, and, and there are, there are more. I realised that for me to have as many opportunities available to me as possible, I needed to understand those systems at the highest level. Mm-hmm. And so that's been in the back of my mind. I think the universe then conspires to put opportunities in front of you when you are aware of these things. So I've worked in a school, in a London award-winning academy at the highest level. I had a national radio show at a time when I think Black Women on Radio, it was me, Angie Greaves, Margarita Taylor. Yeah, I'm trying to think of it. Trying to think of anyone else with a regular weekly radio show. Angie Greaves. No, I think you're right. And that that was it. Yeah. So again, getting to a place. As in not it, music. Yeah, you're right. Not, Sorry, not yes. music. So talk radio. Yeah, so speech you're right, radio. You're right. Talk radio. Yeah. So if you think about the BBC, yeah, right. give me a black woman that has a regular weekly yeah. show no. on BBC, LBC. Yeah. Well, talk radio, and yeah. I'm not talking sort of regional radio either. And yes, national, yeah, talk, national. Yeah, no, you're right. Just three. Wow, yeah. three. I you know work across government at the highest level, and I was working with corporates at C-suite level. And you know, I take a step back every now and then and think, you know, I was doing this in my early thirties without, you know, having to tell everyone that I was doing it or tell everyone that I was in these rooms. I was just in these rooms getting on with it. I wasn't fully aware of how important, so I never broadcast, I'm the first black woman to do this or I'm the first black Mm -hmm. woman to chair this or I'm the first black, or I'm the youngest, blah, 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 because it it was irrelevant. For me, I was Mm -hmm. going there to say, okay, what difference can I make? Mm -hmm. What door can I open that's never been opened before? How can I divert? attention, strategy, funding to communities that haven't had that level of funding before. And it's only in hindsight that I think, oh, hmm, okay, that, that, that was a big move. That was a, that was a big move still. So to your point, in terms of how did I get there, I applied. I say on panels all the time, you can't sit around a table you didn't apply to join. Mm. No and one's going to come up and, appro- and approach you and be like, no. hey, do you want to do wanna... this? <laughs> oh, but, it, but it happens to white guys all the time. I know really impressive, really senior, really well-networked white guys that still have to do the application. Mm-hmm. So if you see something you want, you have to apply. Yes, there yeah. are networks where you might hear about a role and so-and-so said, you know, speak to so-and-so and so-and-so had an informal interview and then got the job. Yeah, that happens too. But that also happens to me but, now at this point that I'm at because I'm also in those networks. So it's not a thing of, yeah. yes, there is an old boys networking club, but there is also a thing of people in similar spaces recommend people in similar spaces that they know and they work mm-hmm. with. So get into those spaces and you'll also be recommended um, for things. Working for the so it was like So it was like your reputation... So it was your reputation. Reputation, applying, showing up, strategic, putting in work. Working at the work. highest level. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But also the All connectivity between it. So mm-hmm. I was, you know, I'm good. I'm strategically good because I understand comms. I'm strategically mm-hmm. good because I understand finance. I'm strategically good because I've been working on billion pound national strategy. Mm-hmm. I'm strategically good because I understand organizational development. And I only got, got, you know, if I had a linear pathway where I went through a grad scheme and did the slow step up, I wouldn't have exposure to all of the things that I've had exposure yeah. to, having dipped into things with a non exec and executive portfolio. And so it's also by design that my brain works in the way that it does. So it's the exposure, but what comes before exposure, it's applying for the role. It's showing up, it's doing the hard work, it's not getting distracted, it's working when everyone else is partying, it's not spending your money because actually you're saving so that you can take a, a break to test this other thing out or, mm. you know, it, it's it's not doing what feels like the conventional thing 
to do. Yeah. And I just want to say really quickly on the, on the royal family, because that is in the UK, you know, one of the, I guess, highest and most complex um, institutions of them all. That role was a real privilege um, and an insight into what soft power looks like and how to convene mm. and bring people together to achieve amazing, significant change. And it's not, it's not an, unless you, you work at that level or in government, going back to all of the, you know, the black women that I know that are doing amazing things across the civil service. When you work at that level where you get to see architects of society, do you realise that there are lots of people talking about the influence they have and you're like, these people have no idea. You ain't got none. You might have some followers. <laughs> you might be able to say a thing one time, influence. but you have exactly. no idea about nah. power and influence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's so funny because I feel like the old auntie and I'm just looking at these young kids <laughs> and I'm just like, you ain't got a damn freaking clue. You know mm. what I mean? About, about real power. Because like you said, it's that like, you know, it's, it's even when I look at business, right? People are like, oh, forget your nine to five. And do, do you know, right, mm. that even bankers are some of the most powerful, like, people on this planet? Mm. Yeah. That woman that you're saying, oh, look, I'm sitting on the beach with my emails. But you, that woman can make or break you as a person. Mm. But people don't necessarily realise that. So yeah. I, definitely, I definitely feel you on that in terms of getting sort of that sort of experience actually makes a difference because then people like the royal family and then we're going to move on to, you know, Blue Water, they actually see the value in that experience. Like yeah. they kind of will look at the nuts and bolts of yeah. who you are as a person. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we we were those those young kids back in the day of Vanessa, you know. <laughs> well, don't forget I don't know our, how far back in the day. Well, but yeah. you know, I, I think about, you <laughs> know, our, remember our, our New York trips when we yes. were plotting how we were going to be the women we are right now. Um, yeah, it's true. And, you know, it, it's part of a journey of, of putting your ego to one side and not listening to insecurities not listening to other people in their judgments yeah so that you can get into your mid and late 30s and be like okay I can I can breathe I've I've got yeah. this and so I don't want to do down um a younger generation mm-hmm. living in the way that they live because actually by the time they get to our age they will have they will probably the structures of power will have probably changed anyway so okay. I'm only doing yeah. it based on what I see immediately, but the immediate things that can make a difference within society, actually those power structures don't even touch the sides of social media or where we see that world playing out. Yeah, I definitely feel like Generation Z are, are, are really more about what we're talking about. I think they're not they're not the generation per se that are sort of inf- influenced, I guess, by the kind of glitz and glam. They're more sort of purpose-led and, mm-hmm. and really thinking about how they can make an impact or difference. So I think that actually might sort of, the future is bright, I think, in that for that younger generation as well. I want to get into your, your life as co-CEO of Blue Water. So you were initially hired as CEO of Blue Water, <laughs> Um, wonderfully, just a couple of weeks before the global <laughs> pandemic, mm-hmm. and you work in the hospitality industry, of course, yeah. um, as the universe would have it, and you took it as a, as a, you know, your chance to kind of, I guess, redefine the strategy and approach, and you now have a co-CEO, which is quite rare. So why mm. did you decide to sort of go down that route? So Shine Theory is the concept of, I shine, you shine, you shine, I shine. And I joined Baloo. And because we went straight into crisis mode, you know, my whole induction went out the window. And actually the business model of of Baloo, uh, as it stood, went out the window. And so I had an amazing opportunity to, A, redefine a business with a great heritage, great brand story, and a really solid product base almost immediately. And I would have been naive to think that knowing nothing about the business, I could have done that really, really well. It's a lot easier to do that when you're doing it from scratch, right? 
Mm-hmm. But actually, you if you've everything. got, yeah, you know, you've got decades worth of insight and people that have been in the business for five, six, seven years, why would you not make the most of, of what they know and what they can bring? And equally, having run businesses and, and been a founder and had co-founders, I like sharing the thought process and the journey. I like knowing that someone else has got my back. I think I'm much better at business relationships than I am private relationships. Um, <laughs> because I, I do, I really like being a part of a, a partnership where you know that if you're having an off day, someone else is going to step up and vice versa. Someone else can say to you, look, I need you to cover me on this and you can you know, step up and be that for, for someone else. And so Charlotte Harrington was the COO of Baloo. And I just said to her one day, you know, look, why don't we co-CEO this thing? We're co-creating the strategy for the next 10 years. So it's really false for me to be like, ah, ta-da, look what I created. And actually it was a group of six people with the gift of time that created this. And you and I ultimately are going to be the ones to lead this. Let's just do it together. And it was very clear where we could cope, you know, like CEO. So Charlotte's focusing on international growth and filtration. And I focus on UK recovery and the drink side of the business. So the mineral water and tonics. There's a very clear line of distinction. And, you know, our board were a bit like, well, why would you want to do this? Almost in a sense of people would see it as a demotion. And for me, I was like, Baloo will go first, further faster with us as co-CEO than me trying to, to be alpha and macho about it yeah. and do it as a singular. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think you're right there, but I mean, it is tricky to find the right co-CEO, right? Because mm. not everyone has those qualities and you can't always trust everyone. So that mm. kind of characteristic is really key to make sure that you find the person that actually has the right skills and qualities. But how did you know that Charlotte I'm not a bad. Did? I'm not a bad judge of character. That's the mm-hmm. first thing. I can sniff out a snaky, devious, mean-spirited person Yes, you can, honey. (laughs) Yeah, I do not. I do not have time. Yeah. Um, And so, first of all, you know, everyone that I worked with, work with at at Baloo, they're brilliant people, Mm. and they love Baloo. They're passionate about the purpose, and so we were all starting from a baseline of wanting the same thing for Baloo. Um, That's good. You know, Charlotte's a she's a grown up. She hasn't. She's got. She doesn't have time for bullshit. And so there's a really great pairing there in that she's like, I don't have time to be in my feelings about Mm -hmm. stuff that maybe, you know, a co-founder trying to prove themselves, still figuring out their life. She knows who she is. She she knows exactly who she is. She knows exactly what she brings. She's absolute cool people. We, We get on as people. We have a laugh and we equally, you know, at the end of the day, we go, it's not that deep. Mm. Oh, I love that. We are not saving lives out here. So actually, let's just come back to this tomorrow. And yes, we disagree on things. We see things in a a totally different way. Um, Like I said before, you know, me, I go A, J, Y, where Charlotte is, it's A, it's B, it's C. And so mm-hmm. when I have to explain my working out for her to be like, okay, this makes sense or does it make sense? Um, I get, you know, I get frustrated. But then the growth in that is that I'm putting down a roadmap for how we're going to get to where we want to get to. And equally for Charlotte that goes, well, it's A, B and C. I'm the one going, okay, but what would happen if you missed out B and C? And we just jumped <laughs> to a different part. And I can see her getting excited about the, the you know, the experimentation. So we bring that out of each other. And we realise that, yeah. and it is the gift, gift of COVID, because we had space, time and space to see, to engage with each other. We got to see those good sides of each other and, and how we could bring out the best. 
And talking of the best, right? Listen, those tonic waters, let me tell you, like, my mum is obsessed. I am obsessed. <laughs> like, they are, because we love a good gin. Like, they yeah. are so sick. Tell me there's Thank more. You. Are, have you got plans for more flavours? Yeah. Or, like, yeah. what's your plans? Because they are so nice. Yeah, so we launched Blue Tonics and Mixers basically to shake up that part of the industry. We've been in mineral water for a while. We expanded into filtration about five years ago. The filtration business is really a B2B proposition and we can take that global, which is what Charlotte does. Tonics and Mixers was us thinking about how Blue becomes a drinks business. And there aren't any other brands that have the same social or environmental credentials in the tonics sort of sector of of the drinks market so we've launched in green glass we did a commercial range of seven flavors lots of people see new entrants to the market and they might have two flavors they might have a classic tonic and then like a tonic with some interesting flavor or it's a sort of a soda business and they've got maybe a range of three or five sodas so we've just gone for a commercial range of tonic a light tonic garden tonic which is my favorite that's what I'm drinking right now it mixes beautifully with everything we've got a ginger beer which is fiery the development for that yeah it was it was so much fun we've got a ginger ale we've got a sodium we've got a lemonade and they're meant to be accompaniments to your favorite spirits or to your favorite non-alcoholic sort of elixir as you know what I'm drinking it with now where we go next I think it's an extension of some of the tonic flavours. So I've mentioned garden. I think we can do some more tonic sort of quinine-based extensions. I'd love to look at sodas. But the reality is is that it's hard, even though we've got customers, it's hard to break into a new market because people are in contract. Because we only, so for anyone listening, we only work within the hospitality or workplace. We don't sell via retail. So you can't pick us up in Tesco or Sainsbury's or Asda. Um, but you can buy online, is it? You can buy you online. Can buy us online yeah, yeah. You can buy us online, yeah. So you online. can go to yes. blue.org and you can buy online. Yeah. And that's the only you know, way you can get them directly. So to cut, to get the cut through in venues, people need to be out of contract with their current uh, drinks company or it needs to be a new opening where they're just looking for something different from sort of the mainstream flavors out there so that's going to take a bit of work but I mm-hmm. I absolutely love what we've been able to do over the last year on this yeah really really no. do it's been it's been it's been good work good work okay so let's go to a bit to the personal bit as we um, wind down. So what do you do to unwind and (laughs) de-stress? So uh, I usually drink uh, red wine at this time. Um, I'm having a Monday Monday night off, always. (laughs) So so my my ritual is uh, the lights down low, candles on, red wine, jazz FM, or generally some kind of jazz of an evening. And it just, I don't think there's an evening since we hit the pandemic where that hasn't been my ritual. And I might Mm. switch the red wine for a cocktail or I'm really enjoying sort of tasting spirits neat at the moment and just getting a sense of different spirit profiles, especially rums. To start the day, it's exercise. So I do private yoga, I run, I cycle, I walk my dogs, I'm loving being outdoors. And, you know, all of these things, they're they're not expensive, luxurious things to do. They're just really simple things that bring me down to a sense of calm. And and let's talk about the puppies. Mm. So Buddy and Mr. Buddy, how are they? They're good. (laughs) They're quiet. Because they're sleeping right now. Oh, bless Um, them. If you were here in person, as you know, they'd be trying to jump all over you. Uh, Mr. Dudley would be trying to give you kisses. Um, yes. But no, they are, they have been my best friends during lockdown um, because there have been times, especially when I, you know, I left London and moved to Hove where I didn't see anyone for three and a bit months. And so my only interaction with another living thing was looking at my dogs. Yeah. Literally. And they kind of just held you together what's yeah. it like though being like a mum because they are like literally people don't they can't really see but they are literally I mean I've <laughs> met them they are like <laughs> they are babies like it is literally like two picnic 
Like, yeah. what is it like being a, a mum? Like, they are literally like 24 7 care. Yeah. What has that been like? So, I do, I do enjoy being a pup mum, I must say. I really like it. Do you know what? I, I couldn't have done it pre 35. I, could, I couldn't have yeah. paused my life in the way that I have. Yeah, yeah, I liked, as you know, I liked being out, eating, drinking, yeah. hanging out, um, doing what I wanted to do whenever I wanted to do it. Getting these two has forced me to slow down. I don't think I would have moved to Hove so quickly if I didn't have them. And it is, I didn't, like, I, I'm not someone that loves I didn't love dogs before getting my own. Now, when I look at dogs, I see their personalities. Whereas before I used to just see like very things. Yeah, Yeah. just animals, four legs walking past. Now, every single dog, I look at them and you can see their personalities and I find them so cute. And so having dogs has opened up part of my my heart for animals in a way that um, I definitely didn't have before. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah. What about like the future then? Like, what does the future hold for you? Like, mm-hmm. is there anything left that you want to accomplish on a personal level? Yeah, so much. You know, I'm I'm toying with this. You know, what does my personal life look like? I've never been a want to get married, two point four kids, picket fence kind of woman. I'm meditating on that, but I I don't see that version of life in my future. That's because I'm a bit unconventional, but I do, you know, I I want to be in an amazing, committed, loving relationship. I think family goes beyond just having children. I think I'll definitely adopt one day. So that's the family side of of things. I love living by the sea. I would like a bit more space and Mm -hmm. still to be able to live by the sea. And I still want to be enjoying my career in a way that enables me to feel calm of an evening I never want to be in a position where I lay my head on the pillow and I'm worrying about money because I've been there I never want to lay my head on the pillow and feel that sick feeling about waking up the next day and having to go back to work oh and we all know that we all know that breath yeah well you're just tense and it's like oh yeah yeah life is too short and so I refuse to ever put myself in that position and so it's making sure that wherever my career takes me next I always do it with a full heart with absolute joy where I know that I'm making a difference amen amen okay I think we're gonna wrap up but before we do we had the quick fire round okay Okay. so I was gonna ask you a couple of questions and just kind of give me you know a quick or semi-quick answer okay Mm-hmm. So my first question to you on the quick fire round is, I wish we had shots, but I think it's too late now. Okay. <laughs> Tell us about the trip that changed your life or what was your most memorable trip? Any of our New York ones. Okay. Yes. How many? Jeez. And Do you know what? The first one was my me- most memorable. That was magical. Because we did loads of rooftops. So I was just about to say, it was seeing that view and, mm-hmm. you know, we manifested the hell out of life on those rooftops. Yeah, we and we yeah. put out our intent for the lives we wanted to live and things we wanted to be doing. And we equally had a great time and we brunched and we mimosa and we pancaked and we walked the streets of New York like we owned them. I know that was that was epic yeah I have to say that was epic I think that was definitely really inspirational I think that rooftop that view Mm. the air and Mm. it was like September times it was kind of coming to like fall and summer yeah we need to redo new because I need to I mean if those manifestation (laughs) works child we need to get back on that rooftop because I need to to set my life up for the you know the rest of the but the rest of my life that was good definitely that was a good one yeah. Okay, so if you mess up, so say you've had like the biggest messed up mm-hmm. at work, yeah. who do you call and why? I don't call anyone. Well, Charlotte, I call Charlotte. But if you mean sort of outside of work, I don't call anyone because I will have dealt with it within my workspace. 
mm-hmm. so that I don't take it into my outside of workspace. Okay. So that's one of the benefits of a co-CEO. You've got someone to kind of like, look, I fucked up. Yeah. This is what we need to do. Okay, cool, Yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I never have to handle anything alone. That's the benefit. Right. There is, is no, I, yeah. Being a CEO is a lonely thing. I don't have the loneliness of being a CEO because I have a ride or die right next to me. Ride or die. Amen. What has been the toughest time in your career? Toughest time in my career? I would say specifically when I've done, and I don't, I won't say which job it was, but I've done a job where I had to make myself small and I vowed that it would never happen again. And I've done it twice in my career and I had to make myself small because of the personalities I was engaging with and yeah, it's not worth it. Yeah, honestly, I've, yeah, that's one of the, the revelations that I've learned um, recently that if you have to, if you're in a working environment where you have to shrink your stuff, like you can't be the full version. Like if you can't mm. step into your light, yeah. it's the wrong place. Like wrong it place. is the absolute wrong place for you. You need to yeah. be somewhere where you can just be fully yourself and your light is is just shone, shone bright. So yeah, exactly. definitely agree. Definitely agree. Oh, that was amazing. Thank you so much for being a guest. And then you branded after work drinks club. I hope you enjoyed yourself. Even though I'm surprised there was no there was no alcohol, but we'll make (laughs) up for that another time. We will toast in person, most definitely. Woo! That was an awesome, awesome episode with Natalie. So as usual, we do a debrief after each episode. And I'm joined by the producer, Ryan. Hello. What's your take? Man, oh man. I've got so many takes. Natalie is just phenomenal, man. Like being a part of the conversation and just being like hearing it, it just makes you kind of stand up and take notice and shine a light on your on your own strengths. It's like if you're around Natalie, you can't not be your best self, you know, because that's who yeah. she is. She's unapologetically herself and mm-hmm. there's no kind of blurred lines with that. It's just very clear. And I love that. I loved how she's living life on her own terms and how throughout her career, she's had to communicate exactly that to to be where she is. And she's just so chill as well. Like, she's so chill. Like, imagine being told off by Natalie. It will feel like the worst thing in the world because she's exactly because, you know, you you done messed up. If if she ever had to cuss you, you know, you're done wrong because, yeah, she's she's super chill. And I mean, it's just been incredible. We've been friends for nearly 15 years now, which is just insane. And she's just, you're saying, you, you know, you're right. She's that kind of person. But if you're friends of her, you just level up just being around her. And she's been so inspiring for me and that she's been part of my sister circle in terms of just lifting lifting you up when you feel down and I feel like I want this episode to be what she has been to me throughout the Mm. years like when you're feeling down this episode will definitely lift you up as she has done for her friends and I'm just so I'm just so excited for, for you know people to actually just really see this side of her and and when she talks about I think for me when she was talking about the way that she lives her life that is true to who she is she's very much about Life doesn't have to be hard, right? There are challenges, there are, you know, difficulties, but she doesn't make her life hard because she walks in her purpose. She only really does things that have meaning, that uh, bring peace. And I think our listeners can learn a lot just from that aspect. And that's what I felt like I got through this episode was that how she ensures that her work and her life brings peace and joy those I think for her knowing her those are the kind of main threads of her life and and how she presents herself and how she shows up yeah so right and you know what she's talking about her her granddad telling her that no matter how big you get you know you can only live in one room at a time you know I learned something from that Mm -hmm. incredible that was that was that was a word that that was a word you could only live in one room at a time yeah it's so true it's so true true. it's so true and I just love how you know her life has unraveled with so much purpose and so much alignment Mm -hmm. it's so key and exactly what you're saying about optimizing for peace and optimizing for for purpose when you look at CEOs when you look at people that you're trying to emulate you might think you have to do it the I don't know the textbook way of ripping people down so you can get up Mm -hmm. and you know it doesn't have to be that way 
obviously people do do it that way but it doesn't have to be that way and actually you can optimize your life and your career and your goals and everything for peace and for purpose and that enjoyment natalie was talking about the concept of wealth and actually that being more about how much people you've helped and i just think that's just so it's just so powerful exactly exactly and she's you know, one of the, I guess the, the key threads around her work is she operates at the highest level that she, that she can. So when she spoke, when she spoke about the roles that she's had, like as a commissioner for the civil service, that's the highest in, you know, in, in government, working for the Royal Foundation, Royal Family, like, you know what I mean? It's, it's always that, like, how hard can you go? Like, that's, know, right? that's, she operates in those spaces and she shows up as herself. Incredible. She shows mm, up that as is herself. The key. Operating in those spaces and operating as yourself is so powerful. So powerful. Yeah. And also what she's saying about never making yourself smaller to make other people feel bigger. Such key takeaways. Yeah. Key, key takeaway. And as long as I've known her, she's never, I've never seen her lack confidence. Like she actually believes in her own mm. sources like I am the shit like she yeah. walks in a room and she owns it in a humble way of course she's a very humble person but she's super like confident and owns it knows how to to hold a room and it's just incredible it's incredible it's it's infectious it's infectious I always when I had my down down moments I'm like what would Natalie do <laughs> what would Natalie say and that kind of helps me get in the mood yeah, yeah. No, yeah I, can, I, yeah. I think I'll be doing the same thing. What would Natalie do? Like, what would Natalie tell me about it? myself like... right now? <laughs> exactly, exactly. You, you spoke about humility. And actually, that was another one of the takeaways that I got about understanding your strengths and understanding where you can lean on others and collaborate, you know, and, and team up. You know, she's a co-CEO and that wasn't an accident. You know, she, she recognised that, well, why not make this a, a journey that I can have with someone else? And um, actually, that's that's really helped out. So, yeah, super powerful takeaways. And just her whole mindset and her whole take on how to do this at the top level, keeping your purpose and optimising for peace. Love it. It's just, yeah, so many gems. It's definitely, as I mentioned, just it's it's one for when you're feeling low and, lack, and lacking in confidence. Just listen to this episode again absolutely save and download and share share with other people you know share. exactly <laughs> definitely pass on the blessings pass on the blessings <laughs> i really hope you enjoyed this episode and for joining me for after work drinks if you learned anything from this episode please do share with someone you think would benefit don't forget to leave me a comment with what you learned along with a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people like yourself find the show. Follow us on Instagram on at AfterWorkDrinksClub. A special thank you goes to Blue Water and to Pure Creation Media for producing this episode.